Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, Upholding the Truth. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Women in the Church. I'm reading 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I've got to admit that I've struggled as to how to begin teaching this important text of Scripture. I wondered if I should tell the story of my grandmother Helena, who lived during the Soviet Holocaust, the Stalin enforced starvation of the Ukraine. Her husband, my grandfather, had been tortured to death, and she, in a land of persecution and starvation, raised seven children, only one died. When I asked an aunt how it was that seven survived, she answered, it was our mother's praying hands. Her walk with God and God's favor on her was our salvation. And whenever there was no food, she would call us all to pray, and we'd watch as she called heaven down. And just then there would be a knock at the door and someone had left food for us. Now, I say these things because whenever I've taught on this text, there have been those who've accused me of hatred against women. But my own family bears the imprint of a woman whose strength, courage, and faith has contributed to mine in more ways than I can say. And how then, you ask, can I believe in a restrictive passage such as this and still hold in honor of women of great courage and leadership? Well, I think I can, and I think you can as well. See, every era and culture has passages of Scripture that become controversial. There was a time in the 300s when John 1 verse 1 was controversial, even inflammatory. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Many a pastor might have avoided that text because he didn't want trouble. But in our culture, we wonder how that might have even been possible. But there have been and are cultures where Christ's command to love our enemies are highly controversial. There are cultures where the biblical mandate of one man and one woman is laughable and reason enough to reject the gospel. And what's also amazing is that the very thing that's controversial in one culture is in another culture something that's easily accepted and hardly raises an eyebrow. The faithful preacher is required to preach it all, in season and out of season, as Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Some texts are in season and some out, depending on the culture. And in our culture, I can think of no passage in Scripture that's more inflammatory than the one I've just read, and here's why. Women in our culture have made great strides. You know, it's not really that long ago when they were not even allowed the right to vote. Today, women have broken through almost, you know, every single barrier from education to workplaces to all manner of roles formerly dominated by men alone. And when this passage is read, it sounds to many like the church is the last bastion of sexist thinking left that needs to be broken down. And it's for that reason that I recognize this passage is fraught with dangers. Now, first, there's the danger of controversy that always seeks to undermine the work of Christ and then bring disharmony and anger instead of unity that is ours. 
Now, second is the danger of letting culture overrule the scripture. And when that happens, we can no longer claim to be the people of the book. And third is the danger of overreacting and bringing a, you know, a more stringent interpretation than the text demands. Hence, some Christians looking at this text will want to keep women from exercising their spiritual gifts. So as a way of starting, let's admit to what this text is not about. This text is not about whether a woman should have a career or work outside the home. It's not about whether a woman should be a CEO of a corporation or run for political office and so forth. This text is not about whether women can make a contribution to the faith. No, no, this text is about the church, and I suspect that wherever you stand on this passage, you know, whether you enjoy it or you're scandalized by it, Well, you might be surprised what this passage teaches about the church of Jesus Christ, which is the family of God. So let's dive right in. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And interestingly enough, in the Jewish world at the time of Jesus, verse 11 would have been controversial. Well, why? Because it says, let a woman learn. See, many of you know that a rabbi would never have taught a woman the truths of the faith. And according to the Babylonian Talmud, when speaking of men and women in worship, it says, the men came to learn and the women came to hear. So you will remember in John 4 how surprised the disciples were when Jesus was dialoguing with a woman. Any Jew in the first century would have been scandalized to read Luke 10, when Mary is commended over Martha, for she sat at Jesus' feet to learn. You know, women in Jewish society were denied from learning in that fashion. Now, not all culture is uniform. As a general rule, women were treated as having inferior status in the wider Gentile world as well, but that was not always the case. For instance, we have a number of ancient inscriptions and pieces of literature from that era that speak of well-educated women in Asia Minor. The Bible, in fact, mentions some of these. For instance, Luke 8.3 mentions a woman named Joanna, who was King Herod's household manager. Acts 18.3 mentions a woman named Priscilla, who had the exact same trade that Paul the Apostle had. Acts 16.14-15 mentions a woman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods, who also owned and operated this business as a household, which means she had slaves and investments and business contracts. She was the CEO of her firm. Acts 17, verse 4 mentions the conversion of leading women in Thessalonica. Acts 17, 12 mentions the women of high standing in Berea who had come to believe. So the situation in the ancient world was not uniform. In some cultures, verse 11 would have been greeted as controversial, and in some it would not be so. But regardless of how it was perceived, it's the word of God. Now, how would it have played in Ephesus? Well, the answer is not easy to come by, but yesterday I mentioned the Temple of Diana in Ephesus, which was magnificent, and that the practices, the teaching, and the worship in the temple would all have been run by women. Some have argued that the Diana cult was, in fact, a combination of spirituality, pornography, and feminism. And that's the point. First Timothy is not reacting to a culture or conforming to a culture but sets up a way of living, a new standard for Christians who belong to a different culture entirely. And it begins by commanding that women be taught the deep truths of the faith so that they, alongside of men, would know and practice the Christian faith. 
But then we ask, but what is this learning quietly with all submissiveness all about? Well, the term quiet is best translated as without creating a disturbance. And the word submissive, well, ah, there's a controversial word. But interestingly enough, this word would not have been controversial in the early church. All Christians were called to be submissive. In fact, the Christian way of learning scripture is this. We say, Lord, whatever I learn from your word, I will obey. So what have we learned from verse 11? Well, women are encouraged to learn biblical truth and to learn in an attitude that's demanded of all believers. Again, that's not controversial in our day, but it is a challenge. Don't learn high fashion, learn scripture. Don't learn sensuousness, learn scripture. Don't learn to conform to this world, learn to conform to this word. This is what the Bible teaches women to do. Now to verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now here we learn that the purpose of learning Scripture is not teaching Scripture, but living Scripture. And that's important, lest we think we learn only in order to teach. Rather, we learn in order to obey. And when Paul says, I do not permit, he's speaking with apostolic authority. You know, if I had time, I would show you multiple examples where that phrase, or one like it, signals divine authority in teaching. So on the basis of that authority, Paul forbids two things. The first is the word to teach. That word is always used in 1 Timothy as teaching the doctrines of the Christian faith to the entire church. So, for instance, in 1 verse 3, we're told that there is only one true doctrine or teaching. Same word there. In chapter 3, verse 2, we find out that it is the role of the elders to provide the authoritative teaching of the faith to the entire church. And in chapter 4, verse 11, the teaching which Timothy is to do comes with the authority of a command of God. The Bible translators often translate the word teaching as doctrine. In other words, the only teaching spoken of in 1 Timothy is the instruction in authoritative Christian doctrine to the whole church. The text seems to be saying, I forbid a woman to teach in the role of a ruling elder, thus giving instruction to the entire church. Back to the Bible Canada broadcasts the teaching of the Bible so that people might grow in their understanding of God's infinite grace and the gift of their salvation. Well, this month in churches and around family tables, many will name the gifts received, food and family, health and homes, protection and provision, love and joy, and added to that perhaps a prayer of praise. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. In preparation for a year of gratitude, we invite you to request your free 2022 scripture calendar based on Dr. Neufeld's book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. The calendar includes inspiring images of the cross, reflections upon the promises in God's Word, inspirational quotes from Dr. John, and our daily Bible reading plan. This calendar will be a reminder of the gift of your salvation. Quantities are limited, so to receive your free copy today or to send a gift to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. Paul adds a second command. 
He also forbids a woman from exercising authority over a man. You know, what's often creating confusion here is that the word authority is used here only in the entire Bible. That has led some to charge that the word's been translated incorrectly. Some have argued that the Ephesian women were abusing their authority and that that's what Paul has in mind. But recently, a scholar named H. Scott Baldwin did a massive computer search of every use of the word in the ancient world at the time of Paul, and he found that the word always meant the use of legitimate authority. It's not a negative word or even a positive word. It just means authority. In other words, you can't translate this verse as saying that Paul forbids women from abusing authority. Rather, he forbids her from any use of authority over a man. And again, we're led to ask, how is authority used in 1 Timothy? And here we find that the only use of authority in this book is that which is used by an elder who's called an overseer or one who gives leadership and oversight to the entire church. So we saw from verse 11 that women were encouraged to learn biblical truth. And now we see from verse 12 that women are forbidden from giving doctrinal teaching to the entire assembled church, the kind of an authority that's given only to an elder. So let's be clear about what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say that a woman can never instruct a man, only that there's a context in which she may not do so. We may argue exactly what that context is, and fair enough, but still, there is a context in which she may not. And it also says that a woman may not serve as an overseeing elder. And that leads to the big question, why? And for many, this is a violation of human rights. It's denying women the right to do something simply on the basis of their gender. Oh, we thought we'd gotten beyond that. And as is also implied, a woman would not be allowed to be a teaching pastor to men or a teacher of the faith to men, and this means that certain job or career opportunities in the church would be denied to her. So why is this in the Bible? I know that some say, well, women weren't educated back then, but as we've already seen, that wasn't always the case. Besides, many men, in fact, far more than half of all the men, couldn't read or write either, and they weren't forbidden from leadership. See, others suggest that perhaps the women in Ephesus were responsible for spreading false teaching, but as we've seen in this book, it was the men who were responsible for that, and they were not forbidden from teaching. See, I'm afraid that the only answer to the question of why has to come by asking Paul. We simply have to ask him and let him tell us why he commanded it. So notice verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. You see the first word. It's the word for or because. The word signals what grammarians call a causal clause, meaning that Paul is about to tell us why this command was given. And we as students of the scripture are now called to listen to his explanation and not insert our own. And what's surprising to some of us is that Paul doesn't give us this command because of some problem in the Ephesian church. Rather, he gives us this command because of an order that was laid down by God in creation itself. So, what's the order? Well, first of all, hear Genesis 1.27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, two things are seen from this passage. First of all, since male and female are both image bearers of God, it therefore follows that they're fully equal. And that's precisely what the Bible teaches. But secondly, 
we see that the name for male and female is man, or in the Hebrew, Adam. In other words, whenever the Bible speaks about the entire human race, it simply calls the human race Adam by the name of the first man and not woman. So why is that? Well, the answer has everything to do with why God creates man and woman. And that answer is found in Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And here we find the man's role is to govern the earth and that he is by himself unable to perform what God has called him to do. So God creates a woman to help him do what he couldn't do on his own. And from our perspective, in our culture, a helper, well, that's a lesser role, but not from the Bible's perspective. Psalm 118, verse 7, calls the Lord our helper. For without him, we can't do what we're called to do. Hebrews 13, verse 6, repeats the same thing in the New Testament. And I love that verse. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And hope you hear this. 1 Timothy 2 is not about male superiority or male priority on the workforce, or job opportunities in the church. It's about marriage. It's about the home, the family. We learn from Genesis that the first and foremost of all institutions is marriage, and with that, family. Family is a greater value than work. Well, I know it's not in our culture, but it is in the Bible. And God has instated an order in the family that comes from creation itself. In marriage, the husband is called to lead. And the wife is called to be his helper, for without her, he can't accomplish what God has called him to do. Two of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church are bride of Christ and family of God. And so for Paul, it's not about ability or job opportunities, about choosing a career as a pastor or having equal opportunity for leadership in the institution of the church. It's about family and an order in creation. He'll emphasize that further in the chapters that follow. And as we'll see in chapter 3, fathers who have led their wives and families well are so now prepared to lead the wider family of God as well. You know, for Paul, leadership in the church is called upon to look like leadership in the home. Paul wanted the practices in the church to look like the practices in the home so that when there are those who want to learn how to manage their own home, they'll see it modeled in the church. So what of verse 14? And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Well, Paul's replaying the story of the fall. Having established that Adam was called to lead and Eve to be his helper, he now points out that this very principle was distorted in the fall. The woman is condemned in the fall because she was deceived, and the man is condemned because he failed in his role to be her godly leader. Remember that the Genesis text tells us that. The serpent was deceiving Eve, and Adam, who was with her and was not deceived, took no leadership action to rule over the creation and thus over the serpent. And what Paul wants to do in verse 14 is to show us that when men refuse their roles as leaders in their home, in their family, well, that nothing good comes of it. And is that not the story of the human race? Now, verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, that's probably one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to interpret. You know, the NIV says that women will be kept safe because of the birth of children, but I don't think that's a, a good rendering of the text. I think it's an interpretation of it. And without going into all the interpretations, let me give you my best take. 
She who was involved in our undoing, the woman Eve, in her deception, can also be involved in our salvation in the undoing of that deception. As Eve was promised in Genesis 3.15 that she would bear a son who would crush the head of the serpent, and this resulted in our salvation, so also women today, through the bearing, nurturing, and discipling of children, can be involved in the reversal of this deception. What Paul does then is encourage the woman who might have thought that in order to crush Satan, that she must take upon herself the leadership that God had assigned to her husband. Instead, he promises the woman that as she takes upon herself the role of a godly wife and mother, she will do great damage to Satan's kingdom. So what have we learned? Well, I think we've learned that God has an order for men and women, and it's grounded in creation. Men and women are fully equal. Women are not unequal, neither are men. Men and women, however, have complementary roles, and these roles are worked out in the context of the home, and as we see in this text, also in the context of the church. I know that today I've not answered all of your questions, nor have I dealt with every scenario. But the test here is is not really to dot every I and cross every T. It's rather an invitation to enter into a biblical worldview. It's an invitation to see the church not as an institution or an organization or as a possible career choice, or as a place we drop in on occasion. It's a desire to see our church as an extension of our family and our home that's filled with faith. It's a desire to live consistently. May God give us the grace to be faithful. Thanks, John, for your message today. You know, despite our best efforts and intentions, there's still a disagreement in the church. How should we deal with that? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know, Ben. I, that's just the, the honest answer is this has been an area which has divided many churches, and we need to come to terms with that. Uh, I think we need to find a way that respects the uniqueness of being man and the uniqueness of being woman. A- and we need to honor both being man and being woman. And I think that might be the starting place. Find out you know, what it means uniquely to be the gender that we are and how God wants us to function. Might be a place to start. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Upholding the Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. An integral goal of this ministry is to ensure that Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many places in as many ways as possible. That's why we emphasize a diversity of unique Bible teaching and engagement resources available through a variety of mediums, radio, online, free mobile applications, YouTube, just to name a few. Providing these resources ensures that anyone who desires to hear the gospel can do so at their convenience and at no cost. We're grateful for the incredible opportunity that's ours to share the gospel in your community, across Canada and around the world. But this couldn't happen without like-minded friends, partners, and donors across the country. This Thanksgiving, we say thank you for blessing us, and in turn we pray that this ministry continues to bless all those searching to know Jesus better. For more information about Back to the Bible Canada, or to offer a gift of support, 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.